Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Nukeproof and Kushcore, and I'm going to be telling you how you can win a prize bundle of awesome gear from both of these great brands in just a minute. Nukeproof are giving their clothing range a massive overhaul. As well as growing and improving the range, they've also been really focused on the environmental side of things, now using Blue Sign approved fabrics and Ecotech certification wherever possible. They're also committed to reducing wastage from previous season's fabrics with their dead stock line, which will use the offcuts and wastage to create limited runs of product in high-end premium fabrics. There's three product lines, the first of which is Outland, which is designed to work well on the bike but not to look out of place off it, so it's got subtle branding and it's perfect for a post-ride pub stop. Then there's the Blackline range, which is designed to perform all day long in the saddle and it includes some super nice jerseys made from a really light Italian fabric. I rode last week in the Blackline long sleeve jersey and the Blackline shorts and I can report that they definitely deliver. The fit of the jersey is really nice too, not skin tight but well cut so there isn't a load of fabric flapping about in the wind. Finally, there's Blackline Race. This is what their team riders will be racing in and it is designed to be the ultimate gear for athletes performing at the highest level. If you want to check it out for yourself, then keep your eyes on nukeproof.com where they'll release the full details of the new range. I've been using Kushcore for over two years now and I really like how it makes my bike feel. The main thing for me is the extra damping, which genuinely makes things feel smoother and helps the bike carry more speed. They also give you more support in the turns and that added confidence to push on through the rocks. It also means you can lower your tyre pressures for more grip without any additional risk. Kushcore really does help you go bigger, corner harder and ride faster with total confidence. They come in Pro, XC, Plus and Gravel size and you can also get the Pro size as a 29275 mix if you've got a mullet. If the green valves aren't for you then Kushcore now have a choice of different valve colours too. If you're based in the UK you can purchase them directly from Silverfish over at silverfish-uk.com or if you're elsewhere in the world then check out kushcore.com to find out all the details. Nukeproof and Kushcore are putting together an awesome prize bundle for you, which will include some awesome products from Nukeproof's extensive range, and Kushcore will be giving you a set of inserts of your choice, along with your choice of valve colour and their super helpful bead dropper tyre lever too. To be in with a chance to win this mega prize bundle, all you need to do is to help me by filling out my 2021 listener survey. Help me find out a bit more about you and help me improve what I'm doing and get a chance to win at the same time. It'll take a couple of minutes to complete and you can find it by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey now. You've got until the end of May to get it done. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe, so give that a hit now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, I'd really love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram or Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on, and it's always great to chat with you in the comments and messages there. All right, this week we're continuing the bike testing theme. I recently got invited on a ride with MBUK and Bike Radar tech editor Rob Weaver and owner and designer of Cotic Bike, Cy Turner. So I wanted to spend some time with Rob to get his thoughts on the review of their bike in the recent Bike of the Year test. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to sit down and find out if bike designers and bike testers actually get on with each other. We chat about how the Bike of the Year test works, what it's like as a designer when your bike goes on test, and how side deals with the positives and negatives that come with it. This was a fascinating insight into the relationship between a bike brand and a journalist, and I really hope you enjoy finding out more. So, without further ado, here's Rob Weaver and Cy Turner. 
Rob Weaver and Cy Turner, welcome back, both of you, to the Downtime Podcast, both uh, guests who've been here before. Cy, how's things with you? I'm good. Yeah, really good. Sun shining, been for a ride. Very nice. Yeah, very good. Rob, you? Yeah, same here, mate. Yeah, uh, morning out on the bikes with you guys, which is amazing. Always good fun. Yeah, definitely. So we're here, I mean, this kind of meetup was happening anyway. You and Cy <laughs> wanted to get together and we've been talking about catching up for a while. But I thought it'd be a really interesting opportunity to talk about that relationship between bike designers and bike testers um, and kind of frame that around the recent bike of the year test that you guys have done um, through MBUK Bike Radar. So yeah, I guess, Rob, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about like what is bike of the year? Sure. Um, so every year uh, we set about trying to pick what we think are, I guess, the most current desirable, um, interesting bikes of whichever category it is. So we do trail and enduro. Um, and then we kind of piece that test together. We then spend, uh, it works out around about two and a half, three months testing the bikes, trying to really put them through the ringer. Uh, and then obviously we document that in the magazine and online for Bike Radar. Nice. How do you choose which bikes are going to be in it then? Because there's so many bikes to choose from and there's so many good bikes out there these days and you're narrowing it down to how many do you have in each category like six or eight so normally we have 10 in each category okay um this year was a bit of an exception mainly down to the supply chain um just it threw up a few sort of you know spanners yeah but we work on pricing is a is a big thing especially for our readers we know that they're really receptive to bikes that are obviously arguably more attainable. So not those sort of super bikes that cost nine, 10,000 pounds. And understandably, you know, we'd love to be out riding those things, but obviously the more realistic option is going to be something that is a bit cheaper and they're still expensive, but they are, I would say a more realistic sort of price. So we look at, look at those price categories. So uh, traditionally it's sort of around about Tom, Tom Marvin takes care of the trail bikes and we'll normally look around about two and a half thousand to three and a half thousand pound bikes. Um, the enduro bike category has normally been a bit pricier just because of the type of bikes, um, and yeah, the availability around those and how many models are in those sorts of ranges. And mm-hmm. I think in previous years gone by, generally they were always a bit pricier cause there was few, maybe fewer, fewer of them. Yeah. Um, so this year, I think my price range for the enduro category span from just under three and a half up to 4,200. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, I, I guess previously we've sort of separated them in obviously into those categories, but looked at real wheel travel. So Tom might have picked bikes that range from about 120 up to 140. And then I'll take bikes from 150 up to whatever it might be, 170, 180. Um, but I think defining a trail bike is quite tricky. <laughs> yeah. And so we found that it isn't necessarily about trying to pigeonhole it in that, in that sort of travel category almost. So this year was a little bit different and and the bikes were creeping up a little bit more in terms of real world travel for Tom. But for me, again, in, if anyone sort of, you know, keeps tabs of the Enduro bikes, travel's creeping up there anyway. So we still had a bit of separation there, but again, you know, a a trail bike's generally going to have slightly different parts, maybe, uh, you know, uh, a less burly fork, light, you know, smaller stanchions, potentially lighter t- casing tires, things like that. Whereas a downhill bike is sort of 
almost one step down from a full-on downhill bike these yeah, days. Yeah. Um, so we, we do look at the specs on those bikes and uh, we, we try to make sure that they're fit for purpose. You know, is that if Tom's looking at a trail bike, he'll know that well, he's aiming to get a bike that he can maybe, you know, ride all day on, but also take to his local woods, have a raz around, you know, with his mates, have a laugh, do a trail center, maybe go to a bike park. It really is, you know, that kind of do it all machine. Yeah. And an enduro bike, you want to be able to maybe take it to the Alps for a holiday. You want to be able to ride all your local stuff, make sure you can still ride up the hill as efficiently as possible. We're not saying it needs to be a sprightly cross country feel as on the way up, but when it's pointed downhill, it really needs to handle everything you can kind of throw at it all the way up to, you know, almost full on downhill tracks really. Um, and then in terms of picking the actual bikes, it's a case of looking at what's new, what's come to market, what can we get hold of that's just been launched that might create some interest for the readers. Um, maybe stuff that we haven't tested before, or if it's, um, revisions to the bikes that we've included previously, that's always another key thing. If someone's made a, a change to a bike, then it'll be good to get that back. And maybe it's rectified something we might've talked about previously or, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, that's, that's another thing. And then, yeah, this year to a degree, it was also, well, what can we get? Because <laughs> it's been pretty tricky, which is why we ended up capping it at eight bikes in each category, because it felt, it felt fairer and more beneficial to make sure that the ones we had were exactly what we wanted rather than trying to claw in some extras that sort of yeah. could work around those categories and sort of fit the bill, but maybe we're kind of just, I don't know, sort of backfilling it a little bit. And to make that test fair, it would have been, it would have been really hard to do that if those bikes maybe didn't feel like they were quite right. Yeah. So we just made the call to, to limit what we were including. Yeah. Fair play. From your perspective then, Si, from the brand side of things, how, how important is it for you to get bikes into these kind of tests and how do you have any say in that? Like, do you just have to sit and wait for your bikes to be called or can you, do you actively do things to try and help get your bikes into these tests? Um, we, we don't court it at all and we don't sit waiting by the phone either. So, but we're always super, super pleased to hear. Like, uh, you know, we were just, just before this, we were just chatting about how, um, I was told to sort of get over myself a little bit by some, one of the guys at work recently about, you know, regarding bike of the year, because it's actually a privilege to be asked and between trail bike and enduro bike, we've had a Kotick in every bike of the year for the last four years, which is just actually like, that's amazing for a little brand like mine. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. So I'm really pleased now, now I've reflected on that and because obviously the ego and the competitive side of B is just like, mm, didn't win. It's just, like, it's just like, you know, but, but actually just being in that final eight or 10 is, that's amazing for us. Cause we're punching pretty far above our weight in terms of the competition. Um, so no, that's, a, so it's always awesome to be asked and I, and I love being asked. Um, I think in terms of what the mags, potentially get from us i sense is that because we assemble bikes in the uk from the ground like every single bike that leaves our building is assembled by us in the uk they don't come in in big boxes um we are we tend to have a level of responsiveness 
Uh, and because we have a, quite a big demo fleet, which we have access to usually, I mean, not so much this year, because obviously we haven't been on demo, so we've sold a lot of the demo bikes. But the other thing is, is that in the usual run of things for the last three or four years, we have had one of each size of every model in the range. So actually, I think we began to become a little bit of a, oh, you know what, I bet Kotick have got a bike, you know, kind of thing, which I, which... Which is, again is like that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have bikes available for people, and if one of those people happens to be a journalist, that's absolutely awesome. So, um, yeah, we can usually be quite responsive at quite a late moment sometimes. Okay. Which, which, while that's not bike of the year at all, it's a very considered long sort of long sort of piece of work for Rob and the guys. Um, certainly for other group tests, I know that we've been like, can you get a bike to us like tomorrow? Yes, <laughs> it was very not. It's very not. It's, it's not the case for this. I can assure no, you. I know it's yeah. not the case for this. But but I but I I think so. But you're talking more generally about bike tests. We we don't court it, but we do make it as easy as possible for journalists and media outlets to get on a cotic. Um, you know, literally, if we can make it happen, we will. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Do you do anything specific with bikes when you know they're going to? media for review like do you do you change anything in the builds how do you go about getting them ready to go out the door so ordinarily we don't because um generally it's the you know the bike is it's a demo bike and it will be in you know assuming it's in reasonable condition given that it's a demo bike we will be happy to get that out to a journalist because we stand behind everything we put on a bike you know we we ride everything we build so, um, so from that point of view, sometimes we'll tweak it if there's a, like, if there's a budgetary constraint. So what, so what tends to happen with bike of the year, particularly because of the budget, um, and partly COVID as well, because of availability. So the rocket max that we sent for bike of the year had a somewhat strange mix of spec compared to what you would when, when you look at the other bikes it seemed slightly inconsistent in some ways because it was basically it was the most expensive bike on test but it had dior brakes and an acelex drivetrain but by the same token it had lyric ultimate forks and hunt wheels and like top of the range tubeless tires and a one-up dropper so it had so where it counted it had amazing kit on it and that's because when Rob told me that we'd been invited back, A, that's awesome. B, well, the medium bike's built up as a five grand bike. So I've now got to just juggle the demo fleet a little bit just to, you know, to squeeze that in. Yeah. But on a more narrow note this year, and it's not something we do very often, but I know um when la like the last couple of years either with budget constraints or just because of the brands of suspension that's been on the bikes that's been a slight bone of contention possibly holding the bikes back in that broad group test even right. though there's we don't feel that there's anything wrong with anything that we put on the bikes so this year i made a very much made a point of putting the rock shocks on the bike because i knew that well, it's, there's bound to be other bikes in there that's got rock shocks on it, and we now spec the rock shocks, so it's like it's not, you know, it's authentic. You can buy that. Yes, 
and more familiar, I guess. Like Rob has probably ridden way more. You know, you know the Rock Shocks from the Fox product yeah. inside out, I guess. At this yeah. point, yeah, I spent a hell of a lot of time on that. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So I'd say the only conscious decision I made this year was to make sure that there was that, that there was the Rock Shocks option on the on the bikes. Yeah. Because I knew that that would probably make things easier to compare or just just easier full stop do you do anything to help the the journalist get set up on the bike do you provide any kind of insight into what you think the right settings might be or do you just let them work that out well um, if the bike goes out with the um well all of our bikes have some level of base tune on them the rock shocks not so much as the cane creek because there's less adjustment but for instance although Rob mentioned it in the test about playing around with the volume spaces. So our, our shocks go out with two volume spaces in it because that's our base tune and what have you. But realistically, the only thing we advise is, is that sort of, and even this isn't a completely hard and fast rule, but the only thing we say is start with 30% rear sag because that's, that's where the dynamic geometry is designed around. Um, but if you want to go a bit stiffer or a bit softer, then you know, so be it. But on the, on the Cane Creek stuff, which has got all of the manual adjustment on the outside, mm-hmm. that goes out with a base tune, like our, you know, this many turns, this many clicks, yeah. this, this, this. So that you, so again, so that the rider can at least just set the sag and go and then maybe tweak after that. So um, it always goes out with our base tune on it, basically. Okay. Yeah. Fair play. So you've, you've got the bikes, you've got eight weeks, did you say roughly? Uh, it worked out a bit more than that. Probably okay. closer to ten. Yeah. yeah. Where do you start? So, um, Tom and I probably do stuff slightly differently. Um, but from my point of view, I will take all the bikes uh, and I will try and just almost do like a shakedown ride. So I go through everything from regards to setting up, making sure sags right across the board, your tire pressure standard. You know. Um, oh yeah. Cut the bars down as well. Okay. That's, a, that's probably the very first thing I'll do. Yeah. What what width do you run at? 750. Okay, same. Um, so yeah, cut the bars down, set sag, tire pressures, and then go and ride a track that I know inside out. And I will spend, um, I guess, a little while, a few days on each of the bikes, just trying to get them to feel as good as I can on the tracks that I'm really familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, and then... Generally, those settings will be altered, but only very slightly. Okay, depending on the bike. So you're finding your own like base setup for that. that yeah. all of those bikes. Yeah, and sometimes you'll go to a different venue, and the nature of those trails will mean that maybe the setup you had on the I don't know steeper, um, slower technical stuff doesn't quite translate. So you might make a couple of tweaks, but then when you go back to that steep tech natural slower stuff it might be that you only need to well you kind of find a halfway house yeah you don't come back as far as your original set exactly so there's quite a bit of fiddling around you kind of have to allow that i think and it's like we were saying earlier there is that you know you've just got to almost just be patient and try and work through all those things until you feel that you're kind of in a good place with the bike you know for me it's all about trying to create the balance in the suspension some bikes that takes a matter of minutes. Um, some bikes you might be kind of scratching your head a little bit and doing things that maybe something's 
not quite working out in a certain situation, you're like, okay, you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. Why is it doing this? Why is it doing that? And it might be that, you know, it feels like it's sinking through the travel at the back and you want to rectify that somehow. And in fact, after you played around with a rear shock, it's actually the fork you need to change in order to try and counter things. And um, yeah, it, it takes a while. So, so that sort of process, it's just a case of um, using your experience, you know, I guess a lot of the bikes I've ridden in one form or another prior to that. Yeah. So kind of going back to notes on old bikes and old tests and looking back through what we've done before and uh, almost looking for those original base settings and, and kind of working your way through that stuff until they're in a good place that you feel like you can really start to push them. Oh, sorry, someone just turned up with a V8 truck outside. She <laughs> distracted me. <laughs> So are you, are you, at that point, are you letting yourself form an opinion or are you trying to resist forming an opinion while you're getting set up? Um, if I'm honest, I think it's really hard to not start to form an opinion. Um, I think it's really important to try and go in as open-minded as possible. I think if you've ridden other bikes or other versions of those bikes, sometimes they might have certain traits that you maybe didn't like or you really did like. And there's a bit of you hoping that they've either rectified it or they're still there. Yeah. If you know what I mean? So yeah, I think it's really hard to kind of not do that, but you definitely, you know, I think if I, so I try to just, I just take notes on my phone as I sort of go through it and I might get to the end of the process and then scroll back to, you know, the very first day and things have either changed quite dramatically. My opinion might have gone from, oh, you know, I wasn't really getting on with it in these situations to, do you know what? It's incredible. Or it might, in fact, be more or less the same. Okay. You know, and, and with all of it, the key, for me anyway, is just doing as much back-to-back -back testing as possible. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a big bit of me that if I just spend so long on one bike, all I do is adapt to it. You ride around any of those quirks, you start to forget about, you know, what you did or didn't like, what yeah. it's doing well, what it isn't. And as soon as you start switching bikes around and, and you know, if you somewhere like here in the Forest of Dean, you can do it quite rapidly because the runs aren't long and you really start to pick up on stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you do that logistically though? You just, you can't ride, you can't ride more than one bike to the trail. Like how do you, how do you make that work? So somewhere like here, you're parked pretty much at the bottom of yeah. the hill, right where all the trails kind of spit you out or they at least do on this side. Um, and there's other places, you know, sort of not far from here. It's a similar situation. So it is a, just a case of, you know, the bikes are more or less ready to go. Um, and so it might be the, the longest it takes you to do is, you know, just swap your yeah, paddles or maybe, you know, for me, I try and record everything on my Garmin and just changing that stuff over and you're just swapping them out the back of the van, paddling up. It's a relatively short loop, so it doesn't take too long. Um, so that's, that's the sort of, for me, that's kind of like the key way to, get that initial part done and get the setup sorted. And like I said, trying to find that balance, trying to get the bike feel as balanced as I possibly can to the point where um, I feel like I can confidently start to push the bike to try and see if I can upset it Okay, almost. Yeah, yeah. So even in that setup phase, you're still trying to rotate the bikes and do things back to back or are you, sp are you spending a focus I'm probably spend, of time? Yeah, I'm probably spending a bit more time on them individually at that point. Okay. And then it's when we're when I'm starting to really um, drill down on the details is when yeah. I start doing more of that. Yeah, yeah. So where are you, 
I mean, obviously you do quite a lot of work here at Forest of Dean. Yeah. Where else do you ride? Because I mean, there's a lot of fairly varied terrain here, but probably not everything. Are you trying to cover a broad range of terrain as well? Yeah. So I think um, you sort of trying your best, depending on what that bike's intended for. You're just trying your best to make sure you're covering as much variation terrain as as you think that bike is sort of intended for, basically. Okay. So the forest we've got tons of natural trails loads of roots you know a few rocks here and there you can find some really steep scrabbly stuff a lot of it's sort of hand cut rather than man-made the speeds are probably maybe not the fastest um and then it's going somewhere that's it kind of just takes it up a level so somewhere like bike park wells um we were really fortunate that those guys opened the gates and allowed us to go and test there even though they were closed this year and obviously a place like that, um, the majority of the trails are pretty fast. There's a lot more rocks uh, and you're coming into those rocks with a lot more momentum. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a real good test of all sorts of elements of the bike. Yeah. Um, there's higher loads through the turns because you're hitting them that bit faster. There's bigger jumps, harsher landings. Um, generally, yes, yeah, speeds are higher. Bump frequencies are going to be higher. Um, I mean, it's, you know, we're working within our time constraints. So it's not like we can go and ride every single type of, you know, soil type, rock type, yeah, all yeah. of those things. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell, pretty much what we do. And that's for me, probably the two key venues. And then normally on a, on a, outside of a pandemic, we'll take the, the, the top five bikes in each category and we'll take them abroad somewhere and we'll go and ride something really quite different. You know, we've been to um, San Remo, San Romalo, uh, where else? Punta Alla, uh, Finale, you know, places like that. And you sometimes it will throw, you know, a spanner in your works. You might have everything set in place and think, okay, I've got the order sorted. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then you go somewhere like that and certain bikes don't perform as well as you might have thought or some kind of really do shine above the rest. Yeah. It's rare that happens. I think, I okay. think we, you generally do enough. I feel like we do enough here that you've got a good gauge and everything. And it's rare that something then comes out uh-huh. and really sort of throws a spanner in the works. Yeah. Interesting. And what kind of stuff you, are you doing any measurement or any timing through all this? Is it all done on feel like, um, a lot of the time I will time stuff. I didn't do so much this year, uh-huh. um, but in the past, especially when we're, so this year we were pedaling up on every run um, because there was no uplift on. So normally uh, outside of the pandemic, again, we'd go to Bike Park Wells, for example, and you'd just jump on the uplift and you'd do maybe eight, 10 runs a day, yeah. just switching bikes, switching bikes. And so every time you get to the top, you're pretty fresh. So you can it feels like you can consistently put almost the same sort of level of effort in. Mm -hmm. But this year I felt like, I don't know, I kind of maybe shied away from the timing a little bit this time because I wanted to try and be consistent and I wasn't sure, I wasn't confident that I could elevate myself and constantly push that hard. So I kind of maybe stepped it down a little bit and kind of cruised a bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that element of riding with more fatigue do you think that had any 
uh, impact on the results this year? Because some bikes are harder to ride when you're tired than others, right? And suspension setup comes into play there as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, well, I try to change the order in which I, I'm riding the bikes when I go out. So you try and use the, you try and always ride the bikes and you'll switch around. So you might, you know, you try and ride a bike in the morning when you're fresh, but at the same time, the following day, you try and ride it when you're exhausted okay. at the tail end of the day. And you you know, you switch kind of which bikes you're riding at what point and hopefully get a, a decent level of, uh, I guess, almost consistent fatigue. So you know kind of how one feels when you're more exhausted than the other, if if one maybe responds better to when you're stronger and feel sprightlier maybe. Yeah. And I've definitely had that in the past where I think uh, going back a few years, there was a couple of bikes maybe that I could put in consistently fast times if it was the first bike I rode in the morning. Yeah. But by the end of the day, just the settings on it and and I think certain elements to it just meant that you're kind of compensating for maybe less comfort through the bike. Um, at that point, you're, it's, you, you know, whether it's the bike's fault or your fault, it, you end up just kind of pushing offline and really struggling to be as consistent maybe as you could. And then there's other bikes where there's enough comfort you realize and you find that there's enough comfort that you can consistently hit the same time, run after run after run. And um, yeah, there's definitely an element of that for sure. Interesting. So once you've, you've done all this testing, you know, you've been super thorough, you're happy, you've come to the right conclusions. Do you give the brands any kind of heads up on what review they're going to receive or does it just go live, get into print and then the brands consume it that way? Um, well, I would say for a start, I'm never generally happy because <laughs> it always <laughs> feels like there's always another thing that you need to explore okay. that you need to kind of dig a bit deeper in and yeah, it, I think you spoke to Guy about it quite a lot in terms of how he goes about the testing process. And it it's really hard to kind of draw a line under it mm. where you feel like you've explored every single avenue and done all you can because I think the reality is so conscious of, for example, how much effort size put into a bike or any any of the engineers, any of the bike brands, doesn't matter, big or small, that you just want to make sure you're doing the best job possible. And some of that might be, actually, I want to change the shock tune, but that isn't really always realistic or possible. And if you're doing that on one bike, maybe you need to do it on the next. And when you factor that in across eight, 10 bikes, it's uh, all of a sudden it just magnifies. And by the time you finish the test, all those bikes are out of date. And <laughs> so you can't, you know, so, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I kind of rambled on a bit there. No, not at all. But, um, so once it's sort of all done and dusted, to be honest, this year, because of the nature of it and, and to ensure we had the time we did, we were literally writing up to the point of the print deadline. All oh, right, okay. So normally we'd finish a month in advance. Yeah. But because we were peddling, peddling all the laps, we allowed ourselves more time because we would normally get through, you know, you'd normally back-to-back more bikes in a day. Yeah. So we just had to almost double that. And we stretched it out and... Um, for better or worse, we kind of just went right up to the line, pretty much right up to the day we were testing. So, um, no, personally, we don't contact any of the brands. I think um, we have someone in our commercial team who will contact us just to find out what's done well, what's not. And okay. potentially, if it's a winner, they'll just send them an NDA out 
to sign just to say ahead of the magazine going and say, hey, look, you've won the bike test. Okay, nice. But, but that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, there's no, there's no real sort of um, back and forth with yeah. those guys. Yeah. Obviously, we're in touch. We can be in touch with the brands throughout the process. Generally speaking, if there's something we may be, uh, I don't know, scratching our heads about or a little bit, we find something that maybe doesn't quite sit right, mm-hmm. we'll generally sort of reach out to them. But yeah, I wouldn't say there's a whole load of back and forth yeah. constantly throughout. Yeah, fair play. So from your perspective then, Sai, you've sent a bike away for 10 weeks and you're sat patiently waiting to see the review, I guess. Um not completely because I do actually because on the idea I because I I do make the point of well what on a couple of the tests on a couple of the well not just bike of the year but on on certain tests we've had we've been called out on a component or a um yeah usually a component choice or something like that um and even though these guys know me very well and understand what Kotick do, some of the other, a lot of other media outlets kind of don't okay. so much. And basically the point being is that, again, it comes back to that thing about assembling in the UK. We have base builds, but they're just a starting point. So like even someone commented on the bike radar review, he was like, well, it's not really a stock bike because it's like this and it had this Lyric fork on it. And it's like, it's just like Honda sending the, like the type R to a, like a regular group test. And I, so I had to jump in and say, well, that's not true. Yes. It's based on our silver build, but it's got the posh forks and the nice wheels and all of that kind of stuff. And it still came in within budget, but that's what a lot of riders do because literally we build each bike to order. Yeah. So if a bra- so if a media outlet isn't quite so familiar or if they're just really busy and just got, up against it with a deadline and they go, oh, you know, I just, I can't get on with that shot. Oh, oh, these tires. And then I've seen reviews where they call us out on this thing and I'm just like, oh God, why didn't they just say, because like I could either A, send you the other option or B, just say it costs a hundred quid to have this other thing or, or just because we're so completely flexible on our, on our builds that I've, I've, I get a bit frustrated when we get called out on component choices because almost certainly any one of our, any single one of our customers could make a different choice. So one, so you say like, do I prep the bikes particularly? Generally I don't, but because for bike of the year, actually, and because of that level of flexibility, I did, we did actually have a little bit of a conversation about the spec of the bike. So specifically, because I knew Rob was going to be testing it, I actually asked him for his saddle height, which meant that I could put the one up 180 dropper on it. Yeah, maximize the, maximize yeah, that yeah. because that's something we'd actually check with one of our customers. Yeah. So it's not exactly now other brands can't do that, but then other brands don't do that with their customers either. So it's not mm. cheating. It's just saying we're optimizing this bike in terms of spec the same way we would for a customer kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. so there's that side of it. But I did because I know that bike of the year is a, is a long thing, and we've had a couple of, you know, we've had a couple of things that that we've missed on, like bike specifications that have then come up in the test over the years. I do actually make a point of just dropping an email and just saying, look, how are you getting on? Because half the time, if they just, you know, and it's not just Rob, it's any like how are you getting on with the bike, and if they just say, oh yeah, it's this, but that, I can 
nine times out of 10, unless it's something they hate about the geometry or handling of the frame, obviously I can just say, I'll send you that thing, or it's just a hundred quid to change that. Yeah, we have and an option for we've, that. Yeah. And a lot of that's on your website though, right? Yeah, it is. You, of course. You've got all the drop downs as you go through the bike. Exactly, but it, it's like, that's all there for our customers, but I don't, and I, with the best will in the world, I don't necessarily expect people to go to that level. I mean, I, I was frankly really impressed with the level that you've gone to. You actually called me out on the price that I quoted you for the bike. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's like, that, that's real attention to detail. But also, to be fair, the pricing's been so all over the place this year. It just isn't in my head anymore. But it, yeah, but that that's unusual, very unusual. Okay. So um, that level of detail that these guys bring to Bike of the Year is not the level of detail I think most bike tests get, which is why I'm always really pleased to be involved, but why I'm always a little bit nervous as well, because I know it's properly going under the microscope. So, but yeah, no, I didn't see the test until I read it. How, and how do you feel when you're reading a review of one of your products for the first time? Because, I mean, there's no going back from that, is there? The, the product is already out yeah. there. It's available to the public. This isn't a pre-production test. Room. Oh, it's super nerve-wracking. It's, it's nerve-wracking and it's... um well, I obviously I always flip straight to the end to see if we've like how we've done against the competition because it's a group test. It's you know so so you'll have the initial mm, wasn't it the top three? Okay, what's but actually it was we'd done better than last year because a couple of things held us back with the with the Gen Two bike which we've fixed for the Gen Three, um, and that but it was a weird one because the print edition unusually. Well, it seems unusual to me because I guess I'm sort of more old school. I'm used to print stuff being maybe more long form, but the print edition is actually quite a condensed version of the test. So even though they clearly like the bike, it got a great score, got four out of five. It was better than some bikes. You know, there's a lot of data in there. And, you know, I was really generally pleased because we'd done, but because I felt like the bike had performed better than last year in the context of the test. That particular bit of media felt a little bit flat i wasn't disappointed but just felt a little bit like you know there's a lot of like this is this 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 and this and there you go and that's it and there's the score and then the bike radar came review came out and it's like four times as long and it's like so much more information so much more detail so much more enthusiasm for the bike uh-huh. so i was like so so i so i read that and i'm, I'm buzzing off that because i because that makes me feel a lot better about the fact that it feels like they got the bike and really enjoyed the bike, which is ultimately it's nice to win. And I am competitive about these things, (laughs) but if the review is as good as that one and it comes across that you've really enjoyed the bike and because we've got certain USPs compared to some of the other bikes, because it was, yeah, it was the most expensive bike in the test, but it was also the only one that was handmade with the frame that was hand built in the UK you know, and that it was the only one that was made out of steel. You know, it's the only one where you can choose literally every component on your bike build, you know, so we've got three USPs there. So yes, we've not, we didn't get in the top three, but we were in bike of the year, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And we've got three things that those three winners don't have. And it did well. And it did well. It did really well. It did not come last by any stretch of the imagination. It got, you know, the, the, the top three bikes got four and a half out of five. We got four out of five. Um, we were, 
you know, I was, I was super happy with the bike radar write up. And, um, and I think it's the kind of thing where we, you know, as soon as that came out and I'd read it, man, we shared that everywhere. <laughs> Cause it was like, I was like, well, this is, br- this is great. Cause they, you know, this is really going to be good for us. And like I say, because we've got these USPs over the, you know, over those other bikes, it means that even though we didn't win, if you're in that category and then you're maybe attracted to some of the things that we do, well, those bikes don't offer it. Yeah. yeah. So it's still super positive for us. We're still going to win sales over that. And it was a tough year to be part of it, if I'm honest. Oh yeah. Those bikes are the level of... The the headache for me, the sleepless nights, (laughs) honestly. Because they're so close or... Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you're... You basically just go and run after run after run, just going, okay, well, maybe if I change this, I'll tweak this slightly. What did it do there? Right, go back and ride that again. Okay. And you're just slowly trying to work out those small differences in, you know, everything from how it exits a turn to how easy it might be to change, you know, change line by hopping from one side of the trail to the next to how... I don't know how comfortable it was through that rock section or when I, you know, flat landed off that big drop, you know, did I feel like I was going to snap my ankles off or did it feel like all of a sudden it's firing me forwards and I'm gaining momentum, you know, it's sort of, you do just have to try and be as methodical as possible. And just uh, for me, it's a case of being a diligent when it comes to taking notes. So it's almost like every single run, you probably notice something different or, Sometimes I'll notice the same thing across different days and I'll go back scrolling through my notes and it's like, oh, you've already said that. (laughs) And it's kind of reassuring that you can kind of come back and still feel the same thing. Even sometimes when you're riding the bikes weeks apart, you know, you revisit it again just to double check things. I have so much respect for the volume of work that you, you have done and on that and how difficult that is. Because, I mean, because I don't do even though I do a lot of testing and a lot of development, it tends to be an iterative thing in on, on a bike. I'm very rare. I very rarely back to back test. Cause obviously I don't have the only time I ever back to back test usually is when I've got the first prototype of a next generation bike. So obviously you test it against the previous one or, but actually testing a different version of the same kind of bike is not something I get into at all and I actually have recently because of some of the work I've been doing and it was um Chris was actually there that day when we were when we were doing the testing and and even though even with like a bike park to myself and design having designed both frames and literally every, every component apart from two on the two bikes was identical and so the only things I was isolating with these changes and I had a data logger and I'm still and we were still like every other run I was just Chris but I'm just feeling this and like it's it is mind-blowingly hard to isolate these things and you do it across these this volume of bikes it's like it's it's impressive and it's a volume of work well well I mean thank you very much I mean it isn't obviously just me obviously Tom's doing his side of things. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, just like, but that, you know, I almost think jumping between the bikes is easier than if you're trying to isolate one specific thing on two identical bikes where you've only. 
Oh, that came, became fairly obvious quite quickly. I think, I think that can be really hard. Yeah. Whereas if you look, you're changing, you know, a bike in its entirety. Yes. Because then I guess, well, I the guess characteristics are generally pretty different. You know, if you look at the top three in bike of the year, the geometry didn't actually differ a whole lot. You're talking a few millimeters. Mm. So it was more down to just how they behaved and then those ride characteristics and, and sort of then where some would shine brighter than others almost. So I guess it becomes a bit more objective, whereas I'm uh, subjective, whereas I'm yeah. trying to be very much objective, yeah. which is, which is, which in mountain biking is almost impossible because it, even though, because controlling the variables is the, yeah, is impossible, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I was, Restrictions were easing enough by the time we came to finish that Luke was able to, so Luke Marshall, another one of our, one of our testers was able to jump on the bikes. And fortunately, all it did was kind of just validate my findings, which obviously helps to get closer to it being objective. Um, yeah, so that's, and that's the, the hardest thing with this is we're obviously small teams. You can't just go, right, everyone drop what you're doing. We're all going to go and work on bike of the year for three months. So we are working sort of in isolation to a degree. And is it is tough when you're unsure whether you're feeling something that maybe, you know, is it just a perceived thing? Is it, is it, is it really happening or is it my inability to ride this corner or to get through that compression or whatever it might be? And then you do need that validation sometimes just to put your mind at rest or sometimes to totally disagree with you. You know, mm. you need another opinion to come in and go, mm, actually, you know what? I think you're just doing this wrong or you're not feeling this or I felt this. Mm. And it is good to be able to do that. And we can't always do that just because of the timescales and the way things work. But yeah, it's by no means an exact science, but you hope by trying to be as methodical as possible, you can eke out some sort of differences that do make sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean. yeah, definitely. Sai, from your side, how do you deal with the the kind of critical side of the review, the the not necessarily negative feedback, but the could do better piece? Like, what's your view on how do you process it as as a human? Because you always want your stuff to be amazing, <laughs> but also then how what do you do about it? He sends me a video of him setting fire to the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. He, do, he really doesn't. <laughs> I would like. I would quite like to think he did. So, I just, I just, I just leave messages going. I know where you live, <laughs> but <laughs> sounding really creepy. <laughs> but um, as a human, you're oh, it's it's nail, it's full nail biting reading of bike review because you've put because it is the thing that you put yourself out there and and it's all very well like every day of the week hearing positives and negatives from, you know, you know, customers and owners and um, actually sort of very vaguely related, but it's since um, COVID and we've been reliant on like digital communication at work a lot more, but actually one thing that now Sam's on the emails, not on the demo has become really good at is um, cutting and pasting nice emails. Cause he obviously, him and Paul see, the nice feedback all the time. Obviously yeah. you tend to firefight a bit in business. Like, you know, this thing's happening. These things are late. That person needs sorting. So it's really nice to have this sort of 
underlying this is why we do this kind of thing so that's really really nice so i love reading so but by the same token when you see that customers you see an email from a customer and sometimes you're like i'm not sure i want to open that and it's just like so the bike test is like a big version of that so it's it's brilliant and awful and nerve-wracking and amazing all at the same time but it's not many jobs where you get to be that invested or that excited about it and if I wasn't disappointed about not winning it meant I wouldn't care yeah yeah yeah. so um reading bike reviews is um and also the 13 year old me the 13 year old me in my head going, there's one of my bikes in MVUK. <laughs> you know, that's just like, I still get that. So it's a buzz as well. So it's, it's good in terms of processing what the feedback is that there's a balance. So one of the reasons we're here today is for me to, I, I wanted to have a chat with Rob about was there anything in particular that we could potentially look at doing to the bike or the spec to improve it relative to that competition. And ultimately the possibly, but it wasn't like, you know, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about details because this year was clearly very, very tough. Yeah. Um, so that's nice to know that a, it's clearly pretty up there with those bikes mm. and there's not anything we're fundamentally missing but i i find it really important to have that conversation if we haven't come out well sometimes even if we have but if there's any kind of negative comment about particularly about the geometry or the bike fit or the shock tune or the things that as cotic as a brand are directly invested in because like i say when it comes actually back down to the build i try to shrug that off by and large because almost any of it's changeable, particularly by us. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll try and drill down on that a little bit. And so just, so before bike of the year, the last thing that MBUK tested for us was the jet. Um, and it didn't, it, I think it came second, but it didn't get like the most glowing write up compared to some of the other media that we'd had. So I did talk to Seb about that. And he said, well, you know, I didn't get on with that particular shock tune and things like that. And it's, well, that's, that's a shame because you probably would have liked the other shock. Um, I definitely needed a steeper seat angle, but it's already got a 76 degree seat angle. And for me as a bike designer, I juggled that bike fit, having to fit a lot of different people, my personal preferences, that's that becomes a point where you say, well, um, that's a shame we got marked down for that. But ultimately that was the tester's impression of the bike. But my conviction, I've come to that. No, I haven't accidentally come to that number. So if I, if my conviction in what that particular element of the bike is, is strong, I won't change it. I will simply defend it. If somebody brings that particular bike test up as like, oh, but what about this? Mm. Well, this is the re- we do this because for longer climbs, I prefer to have a bit of an option to sit off my wrists for, you know, it only really, you know, steeper seat angles only for me only really work if you're doing 
super intense, like up, down, up, down, up, down. And a lot of people don't do that. So my, so, so for me, that was like, that was some negative feedback, but actually I'm fairly secure in the reason why I chose that element of the bike. So I'm not going to change it. So, but it was in, it was still good. I, I didn't, but I didn't just like take my bat and ball and go home and say, oh, I'm never saying them bike again. I actually had a <laughs> chat with Seb about it. You know, it's like, so it's, um, it depends. It, like I say, it's really dependent. That's, but I, I'm always interested to hear what these guys have got to say. Cause ultimately I've got a very narrow, deep pool of experience on testing bikes. Cause I've tested an awful lot of Cotex and a couple of other things. Mm. Whereas these guys have just got this massive database of, so why wouldn't you ask for that experience? Why wouldn't you ask for, to have some access to that knowledge? Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, you guys seem to have a good kind of open working relationship, which is cool. Is that, is that common? Rob, do you, do you do a lot of brands approach you and want to understand more and want to kind of hear your, feedback because like you say it's data rich from a big pool of experience yeah i mean i think si and i get on we would get on regardless of whether we were working in the same industry i think um but i think we're able we're professional enough that we're able to separate those things out when we need to um and so we can have those frank conversations and make sure we talk about the details and you know i hope that i can explain why i might have written what I've written and equally so is able to then either agree or defend however he sees it, you know, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, no, I wouldn't say it's common across with every company. Um, I think over the years you build up rapport with certain engineers and designers and marketing people, and you do have plenty of back and forth with them, but you generally, the biggest thing we don't get, is any positives. We generally don't ever hear if they're really pleased with the review. Right. Generally speaking, the most I will get is if it's a negative review and it's kind of then us dealing with that sort of fallout as to, you know, why, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it can be explained. Sometimes it is just a case of just going through that feedback in as much detail as possible. And a lot of the times the brands will just go, okay, yeah, fair enough. Sometimes it, it might be, you know, toys out the pram time and, you know, it, then it is, it does take a little bit of time to kind of rebuild those relationships. But yeah, there's quite a few brands out there that are keen to hear. Um, maybe more than, I guess, in terms of actual feedback as to how the bikes ride, more than maybe you might imagine okay. from some of the bigger brands as well. Um, and again, I think part of that's down to who you know in those Brands, if you're just dealing with the marketing guys, you know, those guys are so pinned, they've got so much work on and they've obviously, they're there to kind of do one job. Whereas I think with Sai, who's, you know, designing the bikes, he's so invested in how it rides. He, and, and, you know, he wants to get every single, everything out of it he can. So, you know, he's, he's so keen to find out your opinion on it and why you liked it, why you didn't and all these things. And it's the same with a lot of the engineers and different brands they might not be the people i guess they might not be the faces of those brands so you might not speak to them on a regular basis but um we sort of chatted earlier about 
launches and obviously the lack of launches you had over the last sort of 12 months. And it's definitely been something I've noticed that when you go on those things, you do end up riding with the guys that design those components or design those bikes. And because they're not the direct marketing contact, you kind of, you know, that, that contact sort of drops off a little bit, but those are the guys that are generally trying to tap you up for like, did you get that product? Have you ridden it? What do you think? Do you think there's legs in this? Do you think we should be kind of going down this route? And I mean, for me, that's, it's so exciting. You know, it's, it's what I love about it. And it's great, you know, thinking that we can have potential influence on getting to make an even more exciting bike and even more, you know, a fun bike that we all want to ride. And yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's less at the minute, but I'm hoping when things sort of start to get back to normal, we'll start to see more faces again and just bumping into people at trade shows and stuff like that. That's when you kind of have those chats, I think more than anything. Yeah. Interesting. I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about, bias because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will claim they have none but everyone has we're all our own size shape have our own experience and our own things that we like and don't like how do you think that plays into testing and and are there, i mean you do a lot i guess to try and reduce bias but to some extent it's inevitable and i'm interested to kind of understand from size perspective as well how how you interpret that bias in results from different testers but i guess rob give us your thoughts on that side of things so i think the goal for us and i'm not saying we do this all the time but the uh, in an ideal world when you're writing that review you try to look at it from almost uh, you know you're going to have different types of buyers for these bikes and some people are going to want to be able to i don't know want something that's really energetic pinpoint accurate really sprightly and can kind of just pop from line to line and they'll love that. And as long as you kind of explain that in the copy, but also say, you know, if you're more of a rider that just wants to drop their heels, barely move around on the bike, don't really want to do a lot, but just let the bike do the work for you. Equally, we need to make sure we're kind of getting across that that bike does or doesn't do that. Um, you know, I think we'll all sort of have, like you said, everyone's got a preference on how you ride the bike and we try to include information like height, weight, little things like that that does have an effect, especially if you're talking about suspension. Um, and, you know, the the damping ranges that we're finding on forks and shocks and stuff like that and how it might work for us versus how it might work for someone who's lighter or heavier. Just trying to include that information as much as possible. Okay. So we're trying to paint as rounded, a, you know, as full a picture as possible. So people understand, um, okay, right. This bike does this. And if I ride like this, okay, it, sh- it should work pretty well. I mean, there's a, we had loads of back and forth, uh, a good while ago about a certain bike that one of the guys, I don't want to say hate. He, d- he didn't get along with at all. Uh, and then a couple of us, genuinely really liked how it rode but he rode in a very certain way and me and this other guy rode in a fairly similar way you know between us two yeah and so it was kind of then okay well this is your perspective and that's why you think it doesn't do what it needs to do as well as it should whereas we're coming at this angle and saying okay yeah it has these limitations in certain situations especially if you ride like this but if you like it to feel like this if you're happy to do these, you know, X, Y, Z things, 
it's actually incredible. It's, it's, yeah, it's trying to paint that picture as fully as possible, I suppose. Yeah. Interesting. What about from your side, side? Do you have, do you, st- do you feel like you tune into certain biases with particular testers and you kind of, that becomes a noise factor and you're like, okay, well, that person didn't like this, but I kind of expected that because that's, you know, they're a very tall rider or they particularly have a thing for that sort of side of things. Or do you take all reviews kind of equally? Um, I think sometimes you begin to, if, a, if one particular journalist ends up riding a few of your bikes and picking up on the same thing over and over again and, you're, you begin to paint a picture that they've maybe got a preference that's different to yours. But then that begins to grate if I don't feel that that preference is being stated as a preference, it's being stated as an absolute performance disadvantage or differentiator. Um, so that, so that, that would depend a little bit on how often a particular rider has ridden one of our bikes and what they particularly pick up on. Um, so sometimes there's an element of that. Um, a lot of the time it's, um, a lot of the time, the thing that the, the, the thing that I try to tune into a little bit is like, again, and again, it comes back to the fact that we can, build almost anything you like is I do either try and second guess or find out who's going to be testing it. If I know that they prefer one of the brands of tires that we supply over another mm-hmm. or well, like classic one, you know, this year for bike of the year, I made a point of putting the rock shock suspension on it instead of the cane Creek suspension, because I had a feeling it would probably go better ultimately at very least make your life easier. And I think because we've come from a small, a much smaller background where we struggled to get that big brand stuff, I've seen what I've perceived as confirmation bias, particularly with things like suspension or tires, where I'm fairly convinced in myself that there's not a great deal of difference in performance between those particular brands and another brand, but because the journalist is pushed for time and the journalist has ridden a hundred rock shocks to one Cane Creek fork and they have a shorthand for like, I kind of know what my settings are for that. So I'm just going to go with that. And then potentially I'm interested actually, potentially is there that I want to try You trying to think, Oh, do, do I, I really believe in this stuff, but making their life more difficult by making them spend a day setting up something they're not familiar with potentially cause puts a bad spin on it. I don't know. That's, that's, I don't know, you know, but you, yeah, do you know, yeah, do you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, you know yeah. where I'm coming from. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what you th- like your thoughts on, I don't think I've ever been on unf- completely unfairly called out on components, but I think sometimes potentially familiarity with certain big brand, particularly suspension products. There's potential, you guys are potentially closer to your ultimate quite quickly. Well, I mean, I think with regards to the lyric, for example, it's, yeah, it's something I'm very familiar with. 
But it's also a very good fork. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> um, I would argue it's one of the best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, fair point. I can get up to speed on it quick. Yeah. I know my settings pretty much, you know, whichever travel I'm sent, I know exactly what I need to do to it in order to yeah. kind of get it feeling how I want it to feel. Um, I don't think, I still think, I would say that we would be totally open to using new different things yeah. and spending the time to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if I'm totally honest it, in with regards to the Cane Creek versus the lyric, I just think the lyrics are better folk. Yeah. Uh, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I know I mean, that's com- my- compared to last year when it was on the helm mark one compared to obviously this year, okay, I think, yeah. you know, obviously that yeah, that I, I would probably agree with you. I think that I think the Mark II's, the current fork is really good. Okay, but it's I didn't want I didn't want I I didn't want to risk bringing that into it this year. No, I, I mean, to, so. and, but the, I guess I guess I would hope that you would. Um, I, I guess you would hope I would hope that you would um, believe in me enough to make sure I would. I would be doing a, yeah. a thorough enough job to try. And I think, to be honest, I think in bike of the year, you've actually got the time and space to do that. To be, to, to be honest, I, I don't have yeah. any particular, it's not really, it's, it's actually the, the, the shorter turnaround sort of smash and grab group tests, which I think there's potentially more. Yeah. We've definitely that. got more puzzling time. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So. Interesting. Interesting stuff. So. I guess to kind of summarize, certainly in this instance, it feels like bike testers and bike designers get on pretty well. You know, like we're the sort of, the, we're like the failed bike designers. <laughs> we're the ones that aren't clever enough to be bike designers. So instead we kind of, uh, we get to do the easy bit, which is just kind of ride around and say, hold on, hold on. So <laughs> yeah, uh, size definitely operating on a different level to me for sure. But I wouldn't like to out. work as hard as you mate. to be honest. <laughs> we get to, I think we're both very passionate ultimately about the same thing. Yeah. Sai is passionate about producing the best bikes possible. I'm passionate about writing about bikes and making sure that I guess doing my best to educate any potential buyers and making sure they get the full picture of what they're potentially looking to buy into you know yeah. so yeah i mean and we both love riding bikes we're both passionate about the industry passionate about you know everything that it stands for so there's a lot of common interests there and um yeah i mean we're we're in very fortunate positions to do what we love which makes a big difference i think yeah and it's a it's a beneficial relationship in both directions right you learn stuff you get insight into what's going on at brands and where they're, what they're thinking. From a brand's perspective, you get a, a really up-to-date kind of view on where bike design across the board is kind of headed and how certain things feel and what you might be able to do to improve. So, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense for you guys to get on. I just I don't know how many examples of this relationship there are throughout the industry. I'd like to think there are quite a few. I mean, for the most part, when Cy and I get together, we generally end up talking about politics. <laughs> and, and not so normally, normally, normally we'll sit down for a coffee at Eurobike and just be ranting about the state of the country and, and how we need to fix it. Um, 
So, but once we kind of, that never really finishes, but once that sort of is put to one side for a bit. Then it's 90s downhill racing. It's 90s downhill, yeah, 90s downhill, racing. downhill racing. Ticking off all the winners that we can remember. <laughs> the best venues to watch, all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, but I would say, yeah, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of relationships similar to this, I think. Um, again, it's kind of, part of it's down to how long you've been in the industry and who you know and and because a lot of the you know positions change people don't necessarily leave those companies but they might end up going from one role to another which is more involved in I don't know a different aspect of the bike rather than the marketing it might be now they're kind of product managing or, or whatever it might be and so their influence on what's coming out of that brand might change and therefore if you've already got a good relationship with them then maybe you then you know your relationship kind of gets tweaked a little bit and you're having more of those consistent feedback conversations. Mm. But I mean, in the bike industry, it's a lot of like-minded people in general. So, you know, it's, yeah, I'm really grateful that me and Sai can have these conversations and, and still be mates and, and go for a ride and stuff like that together. But I don't think it's a one-off. I think yeah. we're very fortunate to work in an industry with so many great people who are so into it. I think that's, that's, actually like what Rob was talking about earlier about having relationships when he gets to talk to the engineers at the other bike companies and they're all just well they're kind of like me they're just oh you know that was good what we, what you, we think we're going in this direction kind of thing it's because we all want to make better bikes and we're all psyched on riding bikes and this is I think some things I mean it, it's calmed down a bit because standards have calmed down a little bit over the last couple of years but I know there was a lot of fatigue in the consumer market in the mid sort of sort of 2010s mm. with the wheel sizes and the frame spacings and this that and the other and they're just like oh they're just trying to they're just rinsing us they're just in all of this kind of stuff and we weren't that stuff was happening around particularly for a small brand a lot of that stuff was happening around me mm. but for those bigger brands who had the ability to push those agendas yeah, I can understand where the consumers were coming from, but also ultimately these guys were just going, they've tried something and they were in a position in one of these big brands to go, hey, do you realize how much better bike we can make now? You know, just, and that's, and ultimately that, that, that it's well, so those- unusual to find anyone in this industry who doesn't have that kind of, this is, this, have you tried this? It's so rad because it's so much, it's so good kind of thing. But just like you, you know, of all the guys you end up speaking to, of all the people you speak to at the brands, it's the engineers that don't really have like an agenda. They're not there looking, you know, it's not, a, they don't work as part of the sales. They're not marketing as such. Um, and so, like you said, they're just there passionate about doing the best job they possibly can to make the best product, to make their best bike, whatever it might be. And then they just want to go and ride it with you and get the feedback almost you know, at the bottom of the hill, yeah. what do you think? What do you reckon? <laughs> what do we need to change? Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, that's what's really cool. That's pretty special. Yeah. yeah and I guess you're, you, you're relatively unique in that you're a small brand. So you, you care about the finances, that side of things, but yeah. you still are the designer as well. And therefore you have, yeah, you have yeah. that strong drive to just keep making everything better. Well, I think all of the brands do. I think the difference, the, the only difference with Kotick is, is that we are, literally engineering led 
because yeah. I own the business and I do the engineering. Yeah. So that we we haven't sort of so so sales and marketing decisions don't get made separately to engineering decisions or or influence each other. That it, it's it, it's all in a great big kind of single decision to be made kind of thing. So that I think that's the only real difference, and that's the same with all small brands. Really, you just yeah. it's less layers. It's less layers, and it's and it has to be product led because it just there's no other way you, have, you know small brands have to be product led otherwise there's that they don't survive yeah nice interesting stuff well we should probably wrap up and then decide whether we're going to go for another ride or go home <laughs> um, but either way if people want to find out a bit more about your side of things rob where's the best place for them to look um well bikeradar.com if they want to get you know i, I guess the full scoop and the you know the, the long form reviews for that and then obviously mbuk magazine um Go and subscribe. Should I, can I say that? You can, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Quality. Good Keep stuff. Keep a job. Yeah. <laughs> and so what about you, if people want to find out a bit more? Um, yeah, the main website is kotic.co.uk. Uh, we're at Kotic Bikes on Instagram. And um, there's a YouTube channel with lots of helpful how to f- change your bearings and fit your frame grommet type videos and a bit of riding. Um, but yeah, Insta and websites, the main two. Cool. All right. I'll dig out links to all of that stuff and make sure it's in the show notes so people can find you both easily. But yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a fun day so far and the, the sun is still up. So maybe there's more riding to be had. Who knows? Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. All right. That's it for this episode with Rob and Sai. I really hope you've enjoyed listening big thank you to Kushcore for supporting this episode. If you want to try tyre inserts, Kushcore are the ones, as they really will enable you to go bigger, corner harder and ride faster with total confidence. Head over to kushcore.com and check them out, or if you're in the UK, then head to silverfish-uk.com. Also, a big thank you to Nukeproof for supporting this episode of the show. If you want to check out their awesome new range of rideware, then head to nukeproof.com when the launch goes live. If you want to be in with a chance of winning a mega prize bundle from Nukeproof and Kushcore, then all you need to do is to spend a couple of minutes helping me out by filling in my 2021 listener survey before the end of May. You can do that now by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you fancy representing the show, you can get your hands on some of our brand new spring summer 2021 merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop and all the proceeds go to help improve the podcast. All right, you know what to do. Please keep on spreading the word about the show. Tell your rider mate, share the episodes on your social media. It all makes a massive difference and it helps me keep this thing going. If you've got a couple of minutes, a review on iTunes is really helpful too. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 